looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Preview Thursday, a tough divisional road game coming up. We'll preview the game position by position, give you the three keys, tell you how Miami can capture victory, and we'll hear from Tua Tungavailoa, Byron Jones, and Christian Wilkins from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Drive Time is presented by Auto Nation, and just a quick update from the Brian Flores Wednesday press conference. He was asked about the situation right now with a trade deadline coming up, and he just simply said, Tua is our quarterback. I've said that. I've told him that, and Tua later would tell us about Brian Flores and those conversations they have together about how from what he's taken from those conversations, he has the utmost confidence that he is the Dolphins quarterback. So I think that also meshes well with what Tua said Sunday post game about the transparency in Flores' message to him in their meetings. Other news, Jerome Baker day to day, he was limited on Wednesday and Brian Flores is hopeful that Devontae Parker can string some practices together and go on Sunday in Buffalo. We'll see, he said. I'll circle back to that and do the entire injury report at the end of the podcast. Let's go ahead and start, though, where we always start on these preview podcasts. And this is a repeat opponent, so you've heard some of this already. But Buffalo executed a teardown type of rebuild under the vision of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott that began back in earnest in 2017. They unloaded Ronald Darby, Sammy Watkins, Marcel Darius, three of their most recent high draft picks at that time. And they brought in Josh Allen the next year after a surprise playoff berth in 2017 behind Tyrod Taylor. They took a short detour in Allen's rookie season. I think it was a six-win season for them then. But you know what? Even the next season when they got back to the playoffs, Allen had some ups and downs. He showed flashes of brilliance. But then in 2020, in his third year at the position with the Buffalo Bills, it all came together. Allen's a hit. McDermott's defense isn't as good as it has been, or had been, I should say, that year, but it's got a good mix of rush and coverage, which you're seeing now as they get back to more top-of-the-league type of defense. So a trip to the AFC title game, a loss opening day this year, four straight victories, and then a disappointing loss last Monday night that, well, frankly, they were one play away from putting this game away multiple times, in my opinion, including a quarterback sneak where Josh Allen was 13 for 13 coming in to third or fourth and short quarterback sneaks and he slipped and fell and cost that cost him the game essentially but the point is I still think this is the best team in the AFC despite their four and two record which is behind a few teams obviously but where I wanted to look this time was where things have gone since that week two game against the Dolphins I don't have to tell you guys it's been a rough run down here and just thinking back to the lead up to that game I mean, that was like a litmus test for us going into it, right? 1-0, Buffalo's 0-1, a chance to get a two-game divisional lead and put them behind as far as the tiebreaker goes as well. And then eventually you thought if they did well in that game, that this game here on Halloween might be, you know, a stake for the division midway through the season. But it hasn't gone that way. A couple of bad offensive series, a long rushing touchdown there for the Buffalo Bills. Then that hit on our quarterback that sends him to IR. That was just a day that I think we all want to men in black ourselves and erase it from our memories and just get rid of it. 
So maybe this is our 2018 season as it relates to the Buffalo Bills timeline. Hopefully that's what it is. That's the hope. And sometimes things go off track, but things that you can't always see on the surface, because I still think with this team, despite the fact that yes, you, I I don't like this saying, but I guess you are what your record says you are. I don't subscribe to that theory so much. I just still think this team can be better and can be better than the results they've shown and they can turn it around at any point this season, in my opinion. Now, the record might be too late for that regard, but I do believe they have it in them to start stringing together some victories. So lastly, this game was kind of when things started to turn things around back in 2019 when Miami went up to Buffalo and it was supposed to be a, a comfortable win for the Buffalo Bills. And I'm hoping that can be the case here, whereas the Dolphins led that game in the fourth quarter 14-9 to and had the football inside the 10-yard line. So worst-case scenario, you go up by eight, right? Or even better than that, you go up by 11, but it didn't happen because Trey White makes a ridiculous interception and things just kind of unraveled from there. So let's go to Buffalo and compete. That's what I'm here for. And it starts with Buffalo's quarterback versus Miami safeties. As we do the positional previews on the podcast every week, we always start here. And Josh Allen's a good place to start as well. And even in a 35-point loss, that really was the best showing we've had against Josh Allen since... His rookie season, the last time Miami beat Buffalo, not only did it hit some low marks against his career in my or his career against the Dolphins, I should say, it was his lowest completion percentage, yardage total, and passer rating game of the season. And not great, but not the worst rushing performance with 35 yards on the ground for Josh Allen back in that week two game. So the question, how do you replicate that production? I thought Miami did well to mix it up with Allen in terms of coverages and blitzed in that first matchup. Not too frequently, actually about two to one in terms of playing coverage versus blitz. But remember, if you blitz this guy, you have to get him down on that first wave because once he extends, you're toast. So it's always a unique balance of four-man pressure versus overloading and trusting that A, it gets home, and B, that the coverage holds up, and also C, that you don't miss when you get him. I thought we had some of our best man-to-man coverage last week against the Falcons, at least in spurts. I talked about that play out of trips where Miami plastered at the top of the stem on all receivers on that beautiful-looking coverage rep. I thought that was a great sign and something they'll have to be extra sharp with this week against this Buffalo Bills team that can spread you out as well as anybody. And as for the safeties and how they match up in this game, we've been getting more Javon Holland than we had back in week two, and obviously McCourty is down this week and for a couple of weeks at least. I think you could see a lot of too high looks, force Buffalo to play left-handed and ask them to run the football. Not that they're not a good running team, but the lesser of two evils, right? Like I'd rather take my chances on Zach Moss and Devin Singletary than I would on Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, even though last time I think one of their first plays from scrimmage was a long touchdown run by Devin Singletary. They're explosive. It's not a good, there's no good option, but the lesser of two evils. So they run the ball. I'll take the reprieve from reprieve rather from Diggs and Sanders and that dangerous passing game. So for the young safeties, they need to be on point. They need to communicate well and disguise well because if there's one way to beat Josh Allen, it's to change the picture and create tight windows because he's not going to shy away from them and nor should he. He's incredibly physically gifted and can fit almost any throw in the windows on a football field. But this also does lead to putting some footballs in harm's way. And when you get those chances, you have to capitalize if you're going to beat Buffalo. They're going to score points. They're going to get 10, 12 possessions in a game, and they're going to find the end zone three or four times, kick a couple of field goals, and probably wind up with 30 points on the scoreboard. So when they give you a chance to 
not only take away one of those drives, but to shorten the field for your offense on the ensuing drive, you absolutely have to do it. You have to capitalize on it. I said it a million times last year, if we get that Kyle Van Noy pick or the Xavier Howard pick late in that game in week two last season, the outcome probably changes in that game. We saw the Titans capitalize on a tipped ball last week. That's what you need. Steal points from this Buffalo team. Last note here on the Miami safeties, we saw Javon Holland time up a blitz and get Matt Ryan to the ground. I'll be curious if he sees more opportunities like that because I remember Bobby McCain, and I think it was... I want to say Nick Needham. Could be wrong on that. But a couple of Dolphins defensive backs got to Josh Allen in the last couple of games we played against them. And those defensive back blitzes can be effective, but you absolutely have to wrap and drive because he's huge and he's going to be bigger than your DBs. And we've seen Javon Holland do really well in that area as far as coming in, coming downhill in control and wrapping and have good sound fundamentals and technique on tackling. And Brandon Jones, for that matter, too, a couple of sacks in a game a few weeks back. As for the Buffalo receivers and tight ends versus Miami cornerbacks, I didn't mention Eric Rowe in the previous portion, and I was originally writing about a matchup between he and Dawson Knox, but Dawson Knox is not going to play this week, who he has traditionally had success with, even though Knox had a good game back in week two, but it sounds like it'll be Tommy Sweeney, the rookie, in place of Dawson Knox, and I just wrote the same rule applies here. If Miami wants to compete in this game and in this area, then you have to have Rowe or whoever draws that tight end matchup you got to be solid on Tommy Sweeney. You cannot let Tommy Sweeney win one-on-one matchups out there regardless because if that position consistently gets wins in the one-on-ones, you're going to have to take away a focus from different receivers, and those guys are even worse news when they start beating you. So on that topic, the receivers, Stephon Diggs, what's the plan for him? Well, last year I talked about this a little bit, about how in that receiving core, The matchups they present are unique in the sense that Diggs is an all-world receiver, but at the time I thought maybe Byron Jones athletically was more equipped to play against Stephon Diggs, and without Xavier Howard in that game, we saw Noah Igbenogany make or draw Stephon Diggs a handful of times, but athletically speaking, Diggs is going to challenge you, and so I think sometimes you see Byron Jones in that role. Sometimes you'll see Stephon Diggs. In fact, in the first matchup this year, Byron Jones was on Diggs for two targets and allowed just one catch for seven yards, where Xavier Howard, three catches on six targets for 53 yards and a touchdown and an interception as well there. So there's a good, unique balance, but I think all things told, I, I mean, with... Not that they're not deep in the position anymore, but I would definitely divert a lot of attention to Stephon Diggs because no one can beat you more and, and more frequently. And he's going to get his, like he'll he'll beat good coverage and, and make tough catches. That's what he does. But you would be doing yourself a disservice to let him have good free opportunities, free access, and just get easy catches. It's, it's, more, it's more difficult to do than it is to say, but you have to find a way to take him out of the game. Bracket, double, trail, cap, whatever, whatever it has to be, you have to do it. And then Emmanuel Sanders is also a problem. This guy has been one of the most underrated receivers in the National Football League for a long time. In the last matchup, he had five targets all against Byron Jones. He caught two of them for 48 yards, but he's been coming along more and more. So his slot vertical skill set, that can challenge you too. So if he goes inside, do you chase him inside with Byron Jones? Do you put Nick Needham in that role? I'll be curious to see how that works out. And then Cole Beasley, he had... Three catches on three targets for 14 yards against Justin Coleman last time around and one catch on one target for 22 yards on Jerome Baker. But then you also had Dawson Knox, who won't play in this game, and Isaiah McKenzie as well. And the running backs with various targets throughout the course of that game. So I think that's kind of what the secret sauce was last time, right? That nice mixture of man coverage, uh, man coverage with blitzing and zone coverage with playing coverage. 
you, you get what I'm saying. I think that for, you know, maybe Byron follows Diggs inside and then X gets in when he goes outside. And then Byron also works on Sanders. There's just not a great answer here because those guys are so, so good. But you know what? So are Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. So I'm always excited to watch the way this matchup unfolds. And then additionally speaking, finding ways to disrupt those crossers that they run and so successfully last season against both man and zone coverage. And hopefully we get Jerome Baker back for that because the last thing you really want to see is them getting a declaration for a matchup on one of those guys coming inside to draw a linebacker. That's what they want. How can we stop them from getting to that? That's kind of a key in this football game. And I want to also play a clip here from Byron Jones, who spoke to the media on Wednesday and spoke to me in the media on Wednesday. A question I had for Byron Jones regarding disguising coverage, because that's you know not only a key in football in general, but anytime you face one of these top dog quarterbacks, you better be able to disguise your coverage and confuse them. Otherwise, they'll wind up with those 400-yard games and four-touchdown games that they are wont to do. So I asked Byron Jones and specifically asked him about the difference in the relationship between how corners and safeties disguise coverage since he's played both positions. Here's the Dolphins cornerback. Well, it, it's all got to be married together. So the corners can't be doing something different than the safeties. So if you want to show cover two, it's not just the corners and it's not just the safeties. And in fact, it's, it's also the linebackers too. It's where they, where they align uh, some of their checks and what, what their calls may be. So uh, yeah, disguising is really a whole secondary thing, and, and oftentimes it does include include the linebackers. Um, so it's just not one group doing one thing; it's really all of us operating on the same level in unison. And as always, it's also important to marry that coverage with rush, and especially if you can do it with four, which takes us into our next positional matchup here: the Buffalo Bills offensive line versus the Dolphins defensive line. And last time, Allen, when he was blitzed in this game, was four for twelve. Pretty good for the Dolphins. 12 dropbacks, and he had just a 4.7 yards per attempt at 33.3% clip completion. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, that's the thing, right? Get home with that pressure and mix it up on the back end. But even when he wasn't blitzed, just 13 for 21 with 5.9 yards per attempt and two touchdowns and a pick. So it kind of works both ways there. Like, it's just about finding the right time to go to those calls, and that's going to be up to Brian Flores and Josh Boyer to make that happen, to get the guys in the right position, to execute the plays and the schemes. It'll be a fun matchup to watch. So if we get those one-on-one wins in the pass rush game, where can that happen? If we have to get those, right? Where can they happen? Where can they come from? Well, first, their total pressure numbers, and we'll see if Spencer Brown plays this week. He missed uh, Wednesday's practice. But from left to right, Deion Dawkins, 11 pressures, three hits and one sack this year. John Feliciano, 15 pressures, three quarterback hits. Mitch Morse, 10 quarterback pressures allowed, one sack. And then Daryl Williams inside, who played some right tackle as well, 16 pressures, one sack, five hits. And then Spencer Brown, eight pressures, one of those a QB hit. But he played just 130 snaps compared to 269 for others. Feliciano, 238 snaps. Cody Ford was in the game uh, back when the Dolphins played in week number two, I believe. But Spencer Brown, we placed him and they kicked Williams into guard and so for the week two matchups uh, Ford and Morse allowed three pressures apiece Williams two and Dawkins one just to give you an idea where Miami had success so they did a good job of keeping the pressure off Allen in that matchup but remember it was a two to one coverage plan more coverage than it was blitzing 
But I think there are matchups here that Miami has a chance to get some production out of. We've talked about Christian Wilkins this year and how good he's been. This is actually the one game this season where he didn't have any QB pressures. We also get Raekwon Davis back, who was not there last time, which allows both these players to show off more of that versatility and be more complete versions of themselves, in my opinion. And I wanted to play some more audio here for you guys because I got another good breakdown from a Dolphins player, Christian Wilkins, this time. And I want you guys to watch Christian's hands when you focus on him when you're watching the game this Sunday or when you watch it on Game Pass, wherever the heck you rewatch this thing. I hope you guys rewatch the games, right? Get a better feel for what happened. Uh, watch his hands. He, he's just been more active, more aggressive, more physical with him, more impactful. You see guys kind of get shooken back a little bit when he hits you, and he's able to get off those blocks very well as well. So I asked him, like, how does that additional or improved hand placement, hand shooting, hand work correlate with your production uptick this season like we talked about on the Wednesday podcast here's Christian you know I I recognize that you know as as an area for me to improve on uh, so all off season just you know just endless countless reps of shooting my hands inside hands you know just doing grip things you know to make my hands stronger just you know because that's important obviously as a D lineman um, so you know and just really hands and eyes go together so seeing my hands in shooting 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 at my target, you know, and just being strong at the point of attack. That's something I've just tried to improve on all, all off season and continue to try to improve on each week during the season. Anytime a player uses their hands to kind of simulate hand placement and hand shooting, love to see that. He was doing that during the video there. But also on the defensive line, Emmanuel Ogba had six pressures in this game last time around, working primarily against Cody Ford, who's not in the lineup anymore. Unless Spencer Brown misses the game, but if he plays, it's going to be a tall order for the rookie because Ogba's ability to not just win with power, but to show speed to convert to power and run through somebody, he really tests your technique and your basically your ability to stay on balance against that bull rush. He's going to need solid technique and solid stand in the pants to hold up against those bull rushes, and he'll get some chances. To me, what he does with those chances and how the coverage holds up when he gets those one-on-one opportunities, that will go a long way towards disrupting the passing game in this game for Miami. Additionally, Van Ginkle had three pressures. Phillips had one in their last meeting. Look at those guys potentially against Deion Dawkins. It's a tough matchup, but that's where you're going to have to get some more production in those one-on-one looks. Our final matchup on this side of the football, Buffalo running backs versus Miami linebackers. I know from experience that my that the Bills, rather, have been a bit ambiguous on their running back usage this season. Devin Singletary's on my fantasy team, lost a game last week, fell to 5-2, and two, damn it. And he started off as the main guy there and actually made me play him longer than I wanted to because he stopped getting carries at one point and cost me fantasy points in that, but I digress. He did have that long touchdown run against us back in week two, but Zach Moss has really taken that role in a lot of ways as the kind of primary back there. Both guys are three down backs. Singletary has a little more juice in terms of speed and explosiveness, but Moss can bring the lumber, some thunder and lightning look there, but they both work well in pass pro and they're both options in the passing game as well. And this here is why I think we not only need a healthy Jerome Baker, but the best version of Jerome Baker in this game. When he comes on the blitz, he needs to put both pressure on the backs to step up in pass pro and not get out into the route, but also force Josh Allen off of his spot. It's a tall order, but Jerome Baker's built for it. Another obstacle, the Bills get a lot of movement and push 
in the running game. They're tough there. A lot of that comes off the change on the right side. They've averaged 5.6 yards behind the right guard and uh, 5.7 yards when they run the ball off right tackle. So we talked about Ogba's work in the passing game. He needs to show good eye discipline and stay in there versus the run, set a strong edge, and try to funnel things back inside to get some help from his friends. Some Bills offensive notes here, 11 personnel, 65% of the time. You attack that primarily with nickel defense unless they're in third and long, like a third and long situation. I think you see a lot more sub this week, kind of like we saw last week against the Falcons. Similar offensive structure in terms of how many playmakers they have. They do run 10 personnel 11% of the time. That's one running back, no tight ends. That number probably goes up this week, actually, without Dawson Knox in the lineup. Uh, They are one of two teams that run this more than 6% of the time. Most teams across the league run it like 1% or 2% of the time. It's four receiver sets. Them and the Cardinals run it a lot. Cardinals are like 22%. They're outrageously higher than everybody else. Buffalo's outrageously higher than number three at 11%. Then how about the other side of the football? And this is the part that I'm really, really, really intrigued to see, as I'm sure most of you are as well, to see if Tua Tungabailoa and the offense can have a third good showing in a row. This defense had our number last matchup, and it didn't matter who was at quarterback pressure, taking away the RPO. They had themselves a hell of a game plan. And that's kind of where I start with this matchup. Dolphins quarterback, Buffalo safeties. Tua coming off 620 yards, six touchdowns, right around 75% completion. The PFF grades loved his performance over the last two weeks. And he's only taken one sack over those two games. And just real quick before we keep going here, you guys hear me talk all the time about footwork and the importance of it at the position and how I think it's an area where Tua really shines week in and week out. So I asked him about it. Tua, tell me about your footwork in terms of how it puts you in position to have success, especially trying to deal with pressure and just play just play sharp from the position because of the feet up. I asked him, I said, you know, most quarterbacks, they would say their skill set starts with their footwork and their production starts with the footwork. How does it impact you? Here's Tua and then a follow-up question about how to do it against pressure and how that changes things. Kind of quarterback 101, quarterback in 101, it's, you know, your feet need to marry up with the route concept so if you have a 10 yard route you know it's a three-step drop timing and you know it's with no hitch and you know you kind of base it off of the routes that you have you're taking a five-step drop if it's a deeper route and and then you you just kind of marry that into how you feel you know so when you are in the middle of a play that you kind of adapt that footwork to adjust to what you're seeing from the defense uh yes at times yes you know, if, if, you know, there's pressure and you got to get the ball out quick, then obviously you can't take a three-step or a five-step drop. So, yeah. I'd love to hear him tell me, like, you know, I do have the sped-up footwork, and that's a big part of my game. Obviously, he's not going to go and talk about that, but I was, I was going for it, and we got a pretty good answer there, so I'm very happy with it. Glad to have gotten that question in. And I knew, too, it would articulate it in a way that I never could because, well, he's an expert in that area, and I've always loved his ability to kind of Slow the game down for those of us that don't know what it's like to go out there and do it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that the way I did. And he'll need those feet this week because the Buffalo defense does a phenomenal job of not just confusing protection with pressure looks and simulated pressure looks. They play sequence as well as anybody in the game. Last time, anyway, it was safety and nickel cornerback driven in terms of those pressure looks. And in those two series that Tua played, it was Teron Johnson and Micah Hyde coming off the edge with a filled defender stepping in front of that in-breaking routes off of the RPO look. So first, 
you'd get a simulated pressure look with Milano and or Tremaine Edmonds mugged up in those A-gaps. And when they took that step forward, that indicates to the running back in pass pro that he needs to fill, right? Inside out. That's the scan search process for the running back against the blitz. Work inside to outside and take away the most immediate threat to your quarterback. So early... They would get to that and get free runs off the edge, which obviously caused problems. Then later, when Jacoby Brissett came into the game, they would green dog Milano. And what green dog means is you basically have a blitz call you can check to depending on how the protection holds up or how the protection slides. It's it's an opportunity to get pressure on the quarterback or play coverage within it's like a it's like a read option basically for the linebacker or the extra rusher to decide if he wants to come based upon if the running back vacates or vice versa. So once the the back identifies the Mike linebacker or whoever slides down to that A-gap position, once he IDs that player belling out back into coverage, he gets width. He goes wide. Look outside for the pressure, and then you can release into the passing route. Then when he the green dog sees that, he can run free up the middle. It's a tough scheme to beat with how well they blitz off the edge and down the middle, and the speed and athletic ability and versatility of that entire defense. The best way to do it, well... I'm going to punt on that answer to another segment because it's not safeties versus quarterbacks. But on that topic, remember the last time we did this, I asked too about those two players, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and how he told me their interchangeability makes this defense tough. It helps the marriage between coverage and rush. And since both of them can rush, play down the rat in the hole, play the post, split safety, they can they can flip and they can invert and they can do multiple things. They're tough to beat. But by the way, one good way to take them out of that aggressive game plan, this is not this teaser, we'll get to that in a second, one of two ways, is to get them over the top. I think the vertical game could help this offense big time in this game if they can find a way to get to it, which of course requires some wins in our next matchup, Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus Buffalo cornerbacks. Last time on the matchups, Waddle caught six for seven for 48 yards, three catches for 30 yards of that came against Teron Johnson, and you know, Teron Johnson's become one of the premier slot cornerbacks in the National Football League. So this is a matchup of good on good right here. Quickness, uh, route recognition. The Dolphins will have to play this, play it smart because Teron Johnson can can key and read and, and jump routes and get picks that way. So be very careful when going after him. He caught his only target, Jalen did, against Levi Wallace, Jordan Poyer, and Tremaine Edmonds, one for one on all three of those guys. But that in there is telling as far as where you ideally want to get the ball to him if there's a safety or linebacker in that mix. And some of that coincides with bracket coverage. Like he draws double teams in his rookie season. It's pretty impressive to do that. And I assume assume they would do it again. But if he draws those one-on-one matchups, you have to hit those. Like if you get Jalen Waddle on a linebacker, that's where you're going. I don't care about anything else. If Devontae Parker is back, they'll probably go with uh, Tredavious White on him. They've had a lot of good matchups over the years. I think Devontae's best battle within the battle here in this matchup is that one-on-one boundary side of the formation 50-50 ball where they roll coverage away, you throw it up. And White is so good in transition that he can handle the route running of Devontae Parker, the in and out of breaks and that type of stuff, and you know, kind of trying to get out of those breaks quickly and, and White can beat you to them. But Devontae can use that frame to high point the football over the top of White. I think that's where you want him in that matchup. Then there's Mike Gesicki, a tough draw for anybody. He drew a whole lot of different coverage. Milano, Wallace, Poyer, Hyde, even Hughes drew him a couple times. He caught three of six targets for 41 yards. And if we see a lot of that 12 personnel again, which I don't have any reason to believe we won't with the injuries at receiver and the production and the usage so far, the most 12 personnel heavy team, if you use that with those twin looks, so unbalanced 12 personnel twin receivers is basically... Your 12 personnel means one back, two tight ends. You put unbalanced means both tight ends to the same side of the formation. 
twin receivers on the opposite side of the formation gives you a slot and a, a flanker with your double Ys. And if you get that, I think you can isolate Mike on some safety linebacker looks when they go man coverage. It might be more zone for this Buffalo defense, but when they go man in that particular package, the cornerback's not going to be over there. You're going to have a safety or linebacker go after that relentlessly. And if they play zone, we saw Tua find Mike repeatedly in those soft spots last Sunday as well. And the area where last game got away from Miami in this matchup was the Dolphins offensive line versus the Bills defensive line. Good chance to see how far Miami's offensive line actually has come uh, over the last four or five weeks. Buffalo found their pass rushers this year, man. Like Epinesa and Greg Rousseau, both enjoying big years so far. Jerry Hughes remains top dog there with 18 pressures. Epinesa has 13. Rousseau has 11. Addison has 11. Starla Tulele has 10. And then Ed Oliver, uh, Matt Milano, and Zimmer all have nine pa- uh, pressures apiece. And they spread it out with all those different rush packages that pair so well with their mix of man and two, uh, cover two looks on defense. They're complex. They have some zone blitzes that are also very prevalent. They're tough, tough defense to beat. And I'm looking at that right side in this one. Jerry Hughes lines over there frequently, lines up over there frequently, I should say, but they really do mix it all up. But that's where AJ Epinesa got that run on two that led to the big hit and eventually the injury. We have to handle that better, handle the speed rush, get more vertical, get more depth. And, you know, I'd rather sacrifice the inside post and let a uh, rusher go around the outside on two as blindside again. So, got to do better over on that side I mentioned Latulale he didn't play last time around with and with him back in the lineup you got to really pack the old sand of the pants to get this guy away from your quarterback he'll push with power and it's the same deal with Ed Oliver so they try to win with speed off the outside then collapse the interior with that size and power and they can condense guys in that area too they're well versed here it's a tough matchup. I really want to see how the Dolphins do in this area and how much Tua can overcome of it because those guys, they're going to bring the heat. Finally, I teased this earlier. The other way to get them out of that tough blitz scheme, in addition to the vertical passing game, is to run the football. I don't often say this. Dolphins running backs versus Bills linebackers. In Buffalo's two losses, Tennessee ran for 146 yards and Pittsburgh ran for 75 yards. Not a ton there, but on just 21 carries, they were able to stay committed to it early and open up Buffalo at least enough in the second half for Roethlisberger to have some success. I don't normally subscribe to you can actually run to set up the pass. I think it's kind of a misnomer, but against this type of defense and what they did against the RPO game might be an option here. So Tremaine Edmonds, uber athletic, a damn good tackler. Matt Milano does everything well on a football field. No Malcolm Brown. We'll see which back gets elevated. Coach Flores talked a little bit about the opportunity for Patrick Laird, for the recently signed Duke Washington, or maybe it could be Jared Dokes, the rookie. But I personally want to see what Savon Ahmed could do, especially in the passing game, because one of the quick answers to maybe get him out of that pressure look, throw some screens to both receivers and to Savon Ahmed, who's shown to me the most juice in the backfield this year. Get him involved in the passing game. Try to erase the blitz with putting the running back into the pattern. That's kind of my hope there. I'm just curious to see how Miami attacks us. There's a couple options, but I like that one a lot. They have to stay balanced because if you allow Edmonds and Milano to pin their ears back and play downhill, that's a tough deal to stop if you can't make them pay on the back end with those pressure looks. Buffalo special teams, number one in DVOA. Tyler Bass never misses. Well, he's 14 for 15, so he missed once. Matt Hawk averages eh, 44 yards per punt, right around the Pilardi range. We got to be better on field goal team. They had one block last week. The first extra point was also almost blocked. Coach Crossman told us about technique on that play on the podcast yesterday. You cannot have that. The three keys in this game, pressure, Josh Allen, got to do it. You got to have it. Win the middle eight minutes. That's an area that this team has 
not fared well in this year. And if they can do that with their fourth quarter and first quarter performances, I like their chances in any game. And then three, run to set up the pass. It's such an old way of thinking, but I think it applies in this game. The Dolphins will win this game to me if they can solve that blitz slash simulated pressure packages and make Buffalo pay for it. I think the Buffalo Bills will win if Miami is not super consistent with their coverage and rush working together and playing their best game on defense of the entire season. I forgot today was my birthday until I took my COVID test on Wednesday and the nurses told me, hey, happy birthday tomorrow. And I was like, what oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's how washed up you get at this age where you forget your own birthday. And just for the younger audience out there that doesn't know about this yet, like once you start or stop caring about birthdays, I also don't care what I do. My wife asked me what I want to do for my birthday. And I said, I want an ice cream cake from Dairy Queen. And I just want to watch the Packers and Cardinals because it's a good game on Thursday night. So I'm officially Ricky Williams years old today. In the words of Bo Burnham, yay. Like, who cares? I don't, I don't care. I don't give a shit. Uh, as for the game, give me, this one's hard. I mean, y'all know I'm a Kyler Murray fan. Like, I thought he was the best prospect I'd ever watched in my life. So watching him doing what he's doing, I enjoy that. And I'm checking to see who's the home team here. I'll take the Cardinals to keep it rolling. And maybe that's last week's atrocious record, 7-6. and six. Ugh, 72-35 and 35 on the season. But I'm just not that confident. But I want to root for Kyler. Okay, give me the unbeaten Cardinals over the six-game streaking Green Bay Packers. And that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast, Jay Williams, this week. And, of course, the postgame show on 560. You can find our YouTube channel and all the media availabilities that come along with that, as well as Dolphins Today and, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. And, Caroline, that's right, Daddy's coming home. <laughs>